0: I'm delighted to share this series is in partnership with Heck. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. We all love a barbecue. And with Heck's new range of veggie burgers, whether vegan or vegetarian, thankfully there's absolutely no need to miss out on all the deliciousness. Gone are the days of tasteless veggie sizzlers as Heck has released its veggie sausage flavors we all know and love as burgers choose from the exotic Bollywood and sweet fusion flavors or the veggie beetroot and super green options and rock up to that barbecue with a smile you can find hex veggie burgers in the major supermarkets or online at hexfood.co.uk Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic and author of Renourish and Top of Your Game. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, So that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. The fitness industry has exploded over the last few years. And with one in four women and one in five men in the UK deemed physically inactive and with a lack of physical activity costing the NHS almost one billion a year. Anything that encourages us to move our bodies more is certainly welcomed. But, as with any booming industry, there are those who seek to exploit it, which in part has led to so much confusion as well as an unrealistic expectation into what we should be achieving. Whether it's that perfect six-pack on magazine covers or gym instructors shouting at us for not burning off all the calories we ate over the weekend, have we taken things too far and lost sight of the purpose of exercise in the context of health and happiness? Do any of us really even understand how to exercise effectively? Joining me to help clear up some of the biggest fitness myths is personal trainer, James Smith. Hello, James.
2: Hi, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. You know what? Not many people ask me how I am, so appreciate that. How are you doing?
2: (laughs) I'm in a fantastic studio. This is posh. This is (laughs) the nicest podcast studio I've been in yet.
0: Ah, well we take that we take that it's a lovely place here we really do enjoy it i think you're the perfect guest to have on because there are so many myths and different things in the industry that just don't seem to go away i, I just don't really know where to start like, i guess what would be the biggest fitness myth that we could kind of start with what's the thing that you think
2: when i talk to people about getting into shape or losing fat people start to defend themselves very quickly. They're like, oh, I I suppose I need to go running. They're like, oh, I don't get my heart rate up Mm -hmm. enough. You know, oh, I haven't been on the rowing machine. And they allude to all of these very high intensity exercises. And it's actually what I used to believe when I was younger. I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm getting a bit soft. I need to go for more runs. I need to do all of this. Never did I take into account you know energy balance or, or management of food intake straight away it was I need to go running I need to wake up and run the problem is that you know I'm obviously not getting a sweat on or getting my heart rate up, up enough and I think that that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that I find which yeah. could be another big factor into why maybe a lot of people are doing nothing because they don't want to go running yeah
0: but the thing is is that a common misbelief then because a lot of people do think that in order to work hard in the gym you have to be sweating like crazy so is that true or can you get an effective workout when you don't
2: sweat i think it's uh it's again going to be personal preference my favorite thing is always to work back towards someone's goal okay so if someone wants to be very well conditioned or they want to train for their sport whether it's netball football rugby they probably are going to have to get a bit of a sweat on alternatively someone that's you know wanting to train for feeling good or just maybe you know oh, i like to go into the gym do a few sets of squats like to do a few sets of this i think it's always going to be personal preference mm. i've often had workouts where you know it's a cold day it takes me half the workout to get warmed up and then i shave a few sets off the end and i leave and i don't feel like i've worked too hard and the next <laughs> day i'm incredibly sore so like i don't think it's a it's certainly not a prerequisite that we need across the board like yeah. we don't need a doorman at the door on their way out sorry mate you're not sweating back in you <laughs> no, go, you off you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that makes me feel so much better because sometimes as well I leave a workout feeling like I haven't done much if I haven't been dripping in sweat yeah. but you're right I guess it is relative does intensity play a role in that then
2: yeah absolutely um and and again it's it's one of those things where at the moment I'm working towards more of like a strength phase and it's because I'm uh, doing some kind of concurrent training where I'm mixing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with weight training. So I don't actually like killing myself too much. Hang on,
0: Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with weight training?
2: You're not at the same time. No, so, I was like,
0: that's a really interesting mix. So
2: imagine like <laughs> uh, adult play fighting okay. for one type of training, which is in essence what it is. And I feel like as a kid, my favorite time was like having play fights with my mates. You can now do it as an adult <laughs> and they imply rules so you don't kill each other.
0: Fab, yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> so when I, when
2: I go into the gym, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do some kind of heavier training. And um, I might not do more than six reps. And sometimes, you know, I'm I'm sat there, I'm thinking, I'm a fraud, like, yeah, fair enough, this is quite heavy, but, I've, I've been in the gym 40 minutes. I've only done like 15 reps or yeah. 20 reps. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the same. I leave and I was like, oh God, I don't even have a sweat patch or whatever. Yeah. But um, it's to make sure that I don't kind of kill myself into two different types of training.
0: I think that's good. And it's also important to know, I think for anyone listening as well, that doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing. And I see it a lot in my clinic with, um, let, let's go on to weight loss, because I think a lot of people come to me and they think, oh, can I reduce one area of my body with diet? You must get the same thing over again with with fitness
2: yeah the spot reduction uh kind of theory in which where people are training certain parts of the body the the main ones are going to be thighs and the abdominal area
0: i was going to say i hear it all the time about abs doing sit-ups
2: yeah, there's. Uh, I was actually looking into this before because there's a very smart research called Menno Henselman. Okay. And he actually came out saying, do you know what? Here are the studies. And some of these studies are up to 50 years old really? of people actually looking into this spot reduction thing. And the amount of fat loss that is lost in spot reduction is so negligible that it is overlooked and i think it is best that we tell people we can't Mm. do it Mm. um when looking into it i was actually on on the way here i was like best make sure i'm I'm not wrong on this
0: (laughs) you got your stats (laughs) yeah yeah, i've actually got
2: some but um in theory it doesn't make sense for us to train the left leg and for the body to oxidize fat from the right leg Mm. that wouldn't really make sense but the kind of benefit to it is something that needs to be you know overlooked and, and drawn out because when we look at say ab training The abdominals are an area of the body that fatigue very quickly. In most cases, they're not very well conditioned. And if this belief remains omnipresent with people, we're going to have someone training their abdominals for 20 minutes Mm. when arguably a one hour walk could have been better. And Mm. I'm, I'm a big believer, especially with certain populations. I've never finished a set of crunches and gone, that was brilliant. You know what I mean? Uh, you know when you get that kind of cramp. Oh, it's
0: just amazing, those 20 minutes of abs.
2: <laughs> I find myself doing that... Um, what's, yeah. what's the yoga pose where you put your hips down, shoulders up, and you look up? Downward dog? No? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Hips down, shoulders up.
2: This one. I'm, we're on a podcast, but I'm showing, to read it now. Where you're like looking up. You've got a curve. So whenever I get cramp in my stomach, you kind of turn into that yoga pose.
0: Oh, I know what you mean, but I can't think of the name, sure. what it's called. Like... Like a lotus or a cat pose or a Yeah,
2: that's me at the end of every ab workout. alternatively, <laughs> right?
0: Anyone listening, you can write that in the review. Please tell us what that is. There
2: people will be screaming at it. Yeah, they, their will, radios. they will. So um when I say I've i say I've got a client and she's like, Oh, I want a flat stomach. And yeah. depending if I can look at her lifestyle, sometimes programming in a one hour walk or even incorporating that into her day, I love giving people podcasts or audiobooks. Because that's sustainable. That's going to mm. play into the energy balance, if not more, mm. than the ab workout. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have any crippling pain where they sit up and they're like, oh, God, that was so much fun. Yeah. And instead, it's something that could play into their uh, you know, lifestyle. Um, so with that in mind, when someone goes, ab's good for a flat stomach, I'm like, mm. uh, sorry, sit up's good for a flat <laughs> stomach. I'm like, no, there are other things we can incorporate and certainly yeah. something that can be done over a longer period of time.
0: Yeah, because it's about looking at the body on a whole, I guess, and not isolating it to one area. And surely losing body fat in general should be down to such a bigger picture. And it's a common misbelief, again, that I think HIT is the best way to achieve that. I mean, what are your views on... So when I say HIT guys, it's high-intensity and interval training. What are your views on that type of exercise?
2: Um, when prescribing someone some kind of exercise that's going to... Uh, let's say complement what they're doing with their nutrition it's important that at the forefront we have something sustainable mm. now unfortunately if we were to ignore everything that we've been told about HIT training it is a very easily marketable training methodology okay so if I've got a product that I'm bringing to the market mm-hmm. it's a very sensible resistance training regime mm-hmm. half the population go I don't like the gym Another 20% go, I don't like weights, I don't want to be bulky. Another uh, 30% of them, you know, suddenly I've just really made my market very small to tap into. Alternatively, if I was to bring a hit regime to the market, they go, well, everyone's got a front room mm. and everyone can exercise at home mm. in there. They've got no excuse. Now, my biggest concern is the amount of impact that we are potentially putting someone in the way of. And if I was to think of even any of my clients being athletes, mm. I could never imagine like the England rugby team doing huge amounts of box jump, or box jumps, here's one for you. So originally, the box jump was implemented so that you step down from it. You're not supposed to jump down. Oh. So if you wanted to create some explosive power in a yeah. plyometric way, you could get the athlete to jump to that height and there would be no impact on landing. Right. So they land on the box, then they step down. Yeah. So you could then give them 10 repetitions of that, or like the concentric explosive force, then they would mm. step down. And then I go into a hit environment and they're jumping up and they're jumping down. Well, do you know,
0: like, that's how I injured my knee two years ago from doing intensive box jumps, literally being screamed at, being like, go faster, go faster. And because I'm hypermobile and I didn't know, uh, yeah, I I uh, had to rest my knee for a year.
2: It's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of impact. And I don't think anyone's taking into consideration the amount that we're giving. And we've got ankles, knees and hips, mm-hmm. the main places that take a brunt of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when we look at running, running is a... Uh, a load of consecutive jumps in a row. Mm. And no one's taking this into consideration. Unfortunately, when people program a hip workout, they're thinking about how fatigued that person is at the end. And we're saying, hey, look, look how tired these guys are. They're going to be so tired after the session, but someone might come along and go, yeah, but at the cost of a lot of impact. And if we were to give someone uh, a well-balanced resistance training session, their feet might not leave the floor the whole time. Mm. Their outcome from that session could be as beneficial, if not more, and we can we have to look long term because people get really worried. They're like, oh, I haven't been to the gym this mm. week. Try being injured. You know, yeah. and how yeah. long were you out with your knee injury?
0: Well, yeah, I had to do low impact exercises and I love jumping around.
2: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's one of those things. I think yeah. that if you're if, and I'm not discrediting it, and what what I certainly don't want to do is say to people, don't do hip," because there are people out there that can handle the impact. Mm. They're not carrying the weight. It can be weight.
0: fun as well. But isn't the research meant to be for 10 minutes for HIT? That's what I have in my head. I could be wrong.
2: The idea is that we we take, a, say, if you were to get a one-hour workout
0: uh-huh.
2: and put it into 20 minutes, because the duration is shortened, the intensity is increased. Yeah. A bit like, uh, in my head, I think a bit like squeezing a pipe. Okay. If, if you're going to limit the width of the hose pipe it yeah. has to come out faster Yeah. so like um, that's <laughs> like an analogy because like, yeah. you're you're shortening the amount of time uh-huh. shortening the amount of rest um, and you know if you've got someone who goes I can only train for 20 minutes mm. it's something that yeah could, could so it's out.
0: not a miracle basically hit training it's not the only way to burn body fat
2: absolutely not yeah. and uh, if we were to again l- here's a scenario I find myself in a lot where I sit down with someone they want to lose weight if someone's obese or morbidly obese they're on a long journey mm. so if I sit with them do you like HIIT training? And if there's any hesitation, I'm like, okay, let's not do HIIT training. It could then.
0: be quite dangerous, of course, for different body types. Um, if, Especially if you're starting fitness, I'm presuming with different fitness levels, going into something that's high intensity, surely the intensity needs to be lowered to begin
2: with. Yes. Uh, and I think that a lot of times people overlook the fundamental basics of, you know, performing a squat or a lunge yeah. or even just getting some push-pull movements going. Because mm. if someone's not very well conditioned, I could easily walk into a commercial group exercise class mm. anywhere in Soho, mm-hmm. London, whatever, and someone's like, okay, brilliant, off you go. Because
0: don't we all, okay, which one is it we do more of, pulling or pushing, in everyday life? Ooh. Isn't it because we pick up things, but we don't ever practice
2: pushing things? Pushing. Things? I do not actually thought about that. I suppose <laughs> I suppose pulling, <laughs> pulling would seem more uh, more realistic, but yeah, I don't think many people do I feel like we much. pick
0: things up, but I just don't feel like I have a... Use that force, that push
2: oh, in my life. See me on the sofa in the evenings. That's me trying to get myself <laughs> off of it.
0: So, I mean, when it comes to frequency of exercise, James, how often should someone be training to maintain a relatively high level of fitness?
2: Again, this one needs to be case dependent. Okay. Uh, people go, how often should I train? I go as often as possible mm. because if someone goes, I can only train twice a week. I'm like, brilliant, you're going to be training twice a week. Someone says three, four. I'm like, okay professions and if we were to look at um total daily energy expenditure so for anyone listening uh, a large proponent of the amount of calories you burn in the day are done at rest mm-hmm. some are affected by our nutrition the two main exercise components are uh gym training and mm-hmm. movement outside the gym training yeah and eat now if we had a nurse who's doing a long day on her feet potentially a 12-hour shift walking about we might say to her do you know what on top of your work life I only want you to train once or twice a week. Mm. I only want you to do 10 sets in each of those workouts. You're only doing 20 sets a week because you are moving so much. Mm. Then I could have an identical same age, same height, same weight, uh, lady who is a PA and she works for an investment bankers company and she goes into work at nine, leaves at three, and she, well, that would be
0: nice, 9 to yeah. 3, wouldn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah. And she's like, James, I don't move. Yeah. i got loads of spare time on my hands. Yeah. I might say to her, do you know what? You're going to be doing 15 to 16 sets four times a week. Mm-hmm. And her eat component, the exercise training, would be larger mm-hmm. because her non-exercise is smaller. Or to be the nurse, there's not quite that requirement to push both. And I find a lot of busy people that have very physical jobs can't quite fit in more on top if not they're someone who has no spare time and they're like Mm. someone fit with no spare time but even then there's only a certain amount they can recover from and i feel a lot of people do overkill it with physical jobs and i do Mm. feel that there's a massive lack especially in some generalized nutrition programming in group Mm. exercise environments where people are not asked they are prescribed an amount of calories with no no questions what do you do for a living yeah like.
0: this is what baffles me james because obviously i see all this messaging on on social media on platforms like instagram but you know i'm, I'm fortunate to have an hour with my clients you know i'll know about their entire life history that what's in their maternal side of the family conditions illness immunity you know everything how can you possibly know such a with such little information and like you said everyone's unique so of course the prescription of exercise a week like you just described with a nurse and the pa that's what should matter
2: 100% and it's not a complex conversation to be asked and you can go to any generalized calculator online to determine a rough baseline mm. and it will ask you their activity level because it's a huge component Yeah, and getting someone and, and, and someone who you suspect is doing a lot already we're better off prescribing them not enough exercise and nothing happening mm. and the same sense that when we're prescribing people calories I say to them look here's a calculator." I always want people to overestimate their energy expenditure. And they say, why is that? I go, because if nothing happens, that's fine. You are three weeks into a diet and you're a little bit deflated that nothing's happened, but you've learned something. Hmm. Alternatively, if you undercook it and the amount of people that pick sedentary, and I go, how much do you move? They go, oh, well, I cycle 14 miles a day to work and I train five times a week. I'm like, you're not sedentary. You're actually an idiot. Like, don't pick that. Don't undercook it because now you're three weeks into a diet. You're burnt out, deflated, starving, and I probably bet you binged a couple of times this week and held yeah. it from me.
0: So not eating enough. This is something I think we see in the nutrition clinic all the time. I'm having to tell is this huge divide, let's say, in the general public. So lots of people out there that obviously are not moving enough, but then we have a kind of I won't I mean epidemics a drastic word to say, but we have a condition where so many people now are over exercising, over stressed. Undereating, eating and that is also causing huge problems. So I'm prescribing to people to reduce the amount of exercise they're doing and increase the amount of good quality food they're eating. It, it's kind of, we've got to flip it on its head. But, I mean, we all know, so back on the exercise subject anyway, we know exercise is so much more than just aesthetics. So this is something I get a little bit passionate about. For example, mental health, relieving stress, and our bones, our muscles, they're the things that make us healthy. So to what extent... Do you think people have actually lost sight of what exercise
2: is? I think that now we're seeing two extremes of black or white where Mm. we've got people over restrictive, over training, trying to get in shape for Ibiza. (laughs) And then once they get back from Ibiza, they're now ordering takeaway, watching Love Island. So we've got on, we've got off because on was too much and off wasn't enough Mm. where really there could have been a middle ground where someone wasn't so crazy going on their way to Ibiza, but they turn up, they say, Hey, do you know what guys, I'm not as in good shape as all you, but I've had a really busy time at work and you know, me and my boyfriend are really happy together. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and we like going out for food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then alternatively, when they come back, instead of, you know, falling off the rails and burning out and looking at their body post holiday uh, compared to pre, yeah. they're like, Oh, do you know what? I should probably maybe do one more gym session a week to make up for mm-hmm. the indulgences I had in the last week. And, No one sees it like that. And it's it's something that I'm definitely trying to make more awareness of where, Mm. uh, you know, one of the main reasons I resistance train alongside my sport is to help me prevent injury. But also Mm. just so I have the peace of mind that my joints are going through range of motion under load. And it's something my bone health, muscle health in years to come, I will thank myself for doing that. And it wasn't for Ibiza. It wasn't for going on a lad's mm. holiday. It was just for some peace of mind. And I mean, we take our car in for service. We kick the tires. We check those kinds of things. But when it comes to our body, it's either about having something to show off about on Instagram
0: yeah. or nothing at all. and I don't think either of us can emphasize enough the importance of thinking long-term because as you age, you you don't want to feel in pain every time you get out of your chair. You want to be able to walk down to the local shops. and There's all those different sides of things. But also, in terms of aesthetics, I think that can be very damaging for mental health just as much as anything else. I mean, if you're only training for a goal that perhaps isn't achievable as well, do you think people set really unachievable goals now?
2: Uh, An analogy I used recently was, I said, imagine in your office, you've got a car enthusiast and he's got posters of it all around his desk and he absolutely loves it, (laughs) but he wants a Ferrari and you know, he's a project manager. You're talking about his Ferrari all the time. You're like Dave Sharp. Right. You know? So, so um, but then one day he comes to the realization. He looks at his projections financially and he realizes he's never going to be able to afford a Ferrari. Mm. So instead of picking a mid-tier car that he loves, he just gives up his dreams on driving altogether. He right. gets the tube every day. He, you know, just that's it. I'm done. Whatever. And I can't help but feel that that's a similarity to what people are doing with their physique. Yeah. They're going, oh well, mental health aren't going to be calling me up anytime soon mm. to go on the cover. So what's mm. the point?
0: Yeah, it's so sad because it's so unrealistic. I think a lot of people listening will be able to relate to the fact that those images they see in the press, they're not always real and they're filtered and they're airbrushed and talking and manipulated things. Let's touch on the controversial branch chain amino acids. So BCAAs, fire away.
2: <laughs> so the funny thing is, when I say to people, don't be daft, don't be an idiot, I used to have them in my drawer. At Did my you desk. Really? Yeah, even as a personal trainer in my early years, I was supplementing <laughs> them. And the, the thing is, this is to, when I qualified as level three PT, mm. there was no challenging any of these things. There right. was no challenging it. And so my first year as a personal trainer, I had to connect the dots myself. And there's no real legislations or even though the governing bodies try to get you to upskill yourself, there's actually no requirement for you to do so. So suddenly I was thinking, okay, branched-chain amino acids, building blocks of protein. Therefore, if they're in circulation, I'm going to, you know, muscle protein degradation, breakdown of my mm-hmm. existing tissue. I'm going to be protected. And one visits T Nation and suddenly all my all my thoughts are backed up. Yeah. But now... The fantastic thing about this new kind of movement in the evidence-based circle, I suppose, Mm. is that people are going, and this is what grinds my gears a lot. James, can you show me a study that proves they don't do anything? I was like, (laughs) no, what we're missing are studies to show their efficacy. And we should be proving things have a benefit before we should be proving they have no benefit. Mm. And for 98% of the general population, I don't see any benefit to supplementing branch chain amino acids which contain calories yeah but through a loophole and in sugar. yeah it's and just because it doesn't say it on the side and some large companies in the mainstream media market are also marketing them as zero calorie, which again is is quite misleading yeah. Uh, but they're I, making a lot of money. And yeah, and, and there's
0: no evidence they do do anything. It, and I, I saw one study that a handful of peanuts has the same amount of branched-chain amino acids as you'd get from a drink anyway. So you pretty much get all your essential amino acids from your diet if you're eating protein at breakfast, lunch and dinner that's complete.
2: Suffi- you're sufficient. And then again, instead of giving people three things, oh, you're going to hit your protein, buddy, mm-hmm. I need you to get your amino acids. Oh, and I'm going to get you to supplement leucine. Mm. and again maybe with vegans and vegetarian populations where feedings of protein would have to be larger but then again we're only looking at people looking to build muscle to hit muscle protein yeah. synthesis amounts yeah. so for people listening uh there's a certain threshold it's why we wouldn't eat five grams of protein every 10 minutes throughout the day and in vegetarians and vegans that threshold is often higher because they have to eat more so then supplementation of leucine would help with that but Again, if we bring some of the talking points together, we've seen hit plans coupled with supplement sales with branched chain amino acids <laughs> and leucine. And when looking at the sustainability of this, if they're going to repeat that plan over and over and they're going to become educated on a new, healthier way of life, mm. the leucine pills are horrible. I tried swallowing one. My oh, client gosh. had them. I said, bring them in. She goes, they're like golf balls. I was like, "I bet they're not like golf balls. Oh,
0: they're the big ones. Really yeah. long. And, mm.
2: you know, I cut them. I, It's ridiculous. Oh, what am I getting from this, James? Well, actually, nothing. What people are getting are they're getting a sale. He's getting a commission code.
0: Yeah, it's so much that this is where I have a real problem with the fitness industry. I mean, I think the times have to change because we want people to move more. We want people to be happy and healthy. But part of the problem is that the miscommunication and the money, the manipulation of people just to make a living from people's vulnerability essentially and not everyone needs to be supplementing and everyone's unique and that's the biggest thing and like you mentioned plant-based diets and for instance so people listening, government guidelines for how much protein you need a day that's the bare minimum needed to prevent disease it's not meant to be applicable to you most of you probably will need a lot more than that's actually recommended a day uh, but there's so many things going around like things like Lucasade was one of the things that i remember as a kid people that drank Lucasade were the ones that ran faster on the pitch
2: and again this this kind of stuff when um, with Aid, like uh, with the sports drinks with the replenishment of glycogen if we were to look who really needs intra-workout carbohydrates we're looking at sports of over 70 minutes and a rugby or football game an athletics event the only person that might benefit could potentially be someone at say a rugby tournament or a Mm. football tournament but even then eating a banana is enough uh, it could be absolutely fine. And this whole, um, you know, oh, you need to get some sugar in your system or, or whatever it is. Again, it it's a lot of overkill. People actually genuinely thinking, oh, I'll play better if I do that. But, yeah. I'm glad this science wasn't about when I was playing rugby because we used to have loads of sweets, <laughs> Did loads you? of sweets a hard time.
0: Or <laughs> loads of like jelly babies or something. It was
2: uh, Jaffa cakes <laughs> and cakes. Uh, yeah, Tang fastics before kickoff.
0: Tang fa- well, do you know what? Whatever works for you, James, as long yeah. as that helped you play better. And what about fasted cardio? Because that's something I know that you talk a lot about on your social media channels. And can you explain to everyone what it is, first of all, how it came about, um, where this type of myth evolved from?
2: So again, rewind James and his first year of being a PT. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, I, and, and I think it's good for me to say to people that I used to believe in all the things that I now take yeah, the piss of out of. Um, it's
0: real. You know, I think everybody's subject to, to these types of things.
2: If we were to break it down very simply of when we consume food, we use that as energy. Should we not use it as energy? It could be sort of stored as a substrate. Then hold on. If we train without food in the system, we are going to have to use the substrate. Now, this to this day is still true. However, if I was to take money out of the bank first thing in the morning, then pay some in later to make sure I was even opposed to paying the money in to then go into credit and then take it out later in the day. Mm. As long as the books are balanced, we're still going to see a net kind of same volume. So with fasted cardio, a lot again, the time the people go, oh, there's there's greater you're going to burn more fat. But we're looking at fat oxidation, not fat loss. Mm. Now, considering that there's nothing uh, in the body to be used, it it makes sense. The body's not going to synthesize energy out of...
0: Let's just break down fat oxidation for people so they know what we're actually talking about.
2: Okay, so uh, fat oxidation would be the use of, say, uh, fat either consumed or on the body. Mm. So that can be used. And that's the reason that we store fat. So we can use it Mm. in times that we're unfed. Yeah. Now depending at what intensity depending at uh, several factors of the workout we're seeing a larger amount of substrates being used Mm. if we were fed that fat oxidation would go down and insulin which we use Mm -hmm. to manage our blood sugar when we are fed shuts off fat oxidation which Mm. makes perfect sense because why would the body break down substrates when we're then consuming food that we can use as energy the
0: body loves carbs loves glucose Fed source of fuel.
2: It, yeah. And so mm. then if if it didn't shut it off, we'd have a pretty a pretty stupid system. But then people again connecting the dots, they go, Oh, insulin, that shuts off fat oxidation. Mm-hmm. You're burning less fat now you've eaten. Correct. But people often perform better fed versus yeah, fasted. Exactly. But then again, this is something that I want to make clear. I try and get a point across so much that I sometimes become anti something. So I'm not saying don't train fasted. Mm. I'm just saying don't be alluded to the fact that it's superior. Yeah. I ended up having this with the breakfast debate where I started drilling into my clients so much that it wasn't important. I became anti-breakfast. Right. People are like, why do you hate breakfast? I was like, I don't. I love breakfast, but I just hate that you think you need it. Yeah and so
0: don't worry this is the type of podcast where we're very we're on a balanced approach there'll be some people listening that will be that's what works for them. maybe they can't stomach food first thing in the morning it makes them feel sick before a workout there'll be other people like me that will be on the floor if they don't have something in their stomach because their belly's rumbling so loudly (laughs)
2: 100% and it's personal preference to the Mm. win. and as long as we can liberate people with the understanding that it's not going to be detrimental then that's the best because I'm someone that's 50-50 yeah some days I'm I think oh do you know what I'm going to be training for a couple of hours. I might have something, even hedonic before, flapjack. You know, oh, I love a
0: flapjack. Oh, they're they're oh, amazing. They are my favorite. Do you know, I would rather have a flapjack over a brownie any day.
2: Yeah, I'll see you on that. And Hobnobs really? do one okay. with milk chocolate on it. I, do, I need
0: to go. That's the
2: one I had today. Mm-hmm. I miss those. It's about 300 calories. I like that in my fitness <laughs> past. So, uh, and then I'm always like, oh, it's a bit of fat. But I was like, oh, good. Both substrates covered. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, so then when people understand that. And then on other days where I find that I don't perform as well if I don't eat, but I find it easier to adhere to not eating until later in the day. Mm. So if I I always say if I start my day with a prep baguette, I'm done. There's going to be food coming in for the rest of the day, (laughs) whether or not psychological, maybe physiological, when my body knows there's food about, that's it. That's so
0: interesting because I'm such a believer that psychology and nutrition are so heavily intertwined. Now, there'll be people out there that perhaps looking at the numbers won't work for them and other people it really will work for them so you just have to work out how what makes you tick basically 100 percent. essentially there's no right or wrong but then there's a big discrepancy i think in the fitness industry between how females are approached and males are approached so men are always encouraged to get big and bulky let's say well, maybe they're not anymore, but I think the messaging, subliminal messaging is there. Whereas females are always told kind of to tone up is the word I'm going to use or slim down. And they're scared of getting bulky.
2: I love there's a there's a movement happening at the moment, which uh, I think people are starting to, to understand. So, yes, men often, if we think about it, actually, I'd say since the 60s, there's been a lot of onus on the female to remain in shape whilst the man would go to work do his manly job yes he would come home and if he was a builder with a bit of a belly but he had a hairy chest and he was providing for the family and this Mm. isn't me being a misogynist this is how it used to be portrayed (laughs) that i feel was you know what it was about then Mm. suddenly 20 30 years later hold on you're supposed to trim your chest. Cover yourself in baby oil and have a six-pack. Oh, my God. And, you know, and then suddenly uh, (laughs) dudes are getting their eyebrows done. They're getting like...
0: Shaving their legs everywhere.
2: Getting groomed. Yeah. And there's been certainly that shift that's occurred. Yeah. But for females, there's always been this, you know, and we've got a lot of other things to talk about, and I'm sure I could go on for ages about postnatal uh, complications and certain physiological differences for yeah. females and males. But that
0: is so important. So I've just finished my pre and postnatal qualification for nutrition. But there's so much of fitness that people are unaware of. The female body, A, we have, sorry, I'm going off on my <laughs> no, 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 no. We have menstruation to deal with and loads of different times of the month where we're going to perform differently.
2: I feel that, we'll get into that in a second, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: okay, let go back to the... The, um, the movement I love
2: yeah. is that, uh i feel like we've got two different battles going Mm. on something that i want to do over the next few years is to really help men with how they feel about their bodies Mm. because if you're a high-flying corporate and you engage in a lot of conversations throughout the day you're closing deals left right and center you're in a pretty stressful environment where you know you go to the gym you do this you do that we can't expect someone to be an entrepreneurial businessman a family man a good father and in great shape He's going to have to pick which two of those three he's going to put his attention mm-hmm. into. So what I want to say to someone is, if you are someone that wants to spend time with your family and perform well at work, as long as you come to the gym for two sessions a week and you manage your diet adequately, there should be no prerequisite for you to have to mm-hmm. go home with a six pack. Yeah. On the same note, I don't want you to, you know, drink too much. I don't want you to neglect your fiber. I don't want you to neglect these certain things because you have an obligation to yourself at the other two spectrums, to be a healthy father and to be a well-functioning businessman.
0: Yeah, looking at respecting yourself.
2: And I can't stand that some people classify people as dad bods. Mm. When they see someone who may have, and I think on Love Island last year, the boys called it a derby, the lads who okay. went on to win—they're like, oh, he's got a bit of a derby. I was yeah. like, he's hardly carrying much body fat. No. He just didn't starve himself for 15 weeks before coming just on the a show. Just to
0: appear on a TV show, yeah.
2: And and that's
0: the norm—the image that has to change. Yeah, and mm. you know,
2: he could be perfectly healthy. Yeah, he, he could be, be healthy and not a have a six-pack. Fantastic tennis mm-hmm. player, for all you know. Yeah. And you've just imposed your beliefs on how to, he should look. Mm. So we've got the male side of things that we need to—we need to stop. I did a post yesterday where I was like. I'm actually two, three kilograms over my, what I would consider happy weight. But mm. I feel great. I'm yeah. training more than usual. I'm sleeping well. I'm napping most days. And if someone's come along and go, you should lose a couple of kg. And like, do you know
0: what? It's not realistic because we're meant to not stay the same way our entire lives.
2: I said this on a live this morning that okay. we should see yeah. acute fluctuations yeah. throughout the year, up and down, up and down, yeah. up and down. And but, as we age. And then when Christmas comes... <laughs> And you know what, if someone says to me, I didn't gain any weight at Christmas, I "I don't know what you were doing then. Yeah. Then um, with females, I find that uh, what we saw for a long time was, I know this because they were my clients and I've talked a lot of women out of it, was this competing, I want to get into fitness, I'm going to get a comp coach, I'm going to get someone to throw a very low amount of calories at me. I'm then going to create a huge amount of pressure through social media on myself so that Mm -hmm. I don't drop out of this Mm. I'm going to tell everyone I'm competing I'm going to invite everyone to the event so that when I enter this 12 weeks of starvation and excess cardio I have so much pressure on me that I don't pull out at any point that was such an unhealthy movement I was pulling my hair out a few years ago and I was thinking how can we get ourselves out of this and Brett Contreras one of my favorite, if not my favorite person in the industry, started bringing this movement of glute development and booty growth yes. to the market. Yeah. And suddenly, instead of women walking on a treadmill and dieting in fake tan, you see chicks <laughs> walk into the gym. They've got their big headphones. They've got their gym Gymshark leggings or Lululemon. <laughs> they're getting a plyometric box. They're getting a barbell, putting some discs yeah. on it. Yeah. And they're hip thrusting more <laughs> weight than the boys can deadlift. Yeah. And they're doing their sets, they're doing their band work, they're going into the gym with intent. Mm. And for once in their life, they are bodybuilding, not in the sense to look like Arnie, they are developing themselves. And then the Just men. Just to
0: feel strong and empowered as well. It doesn't have to be about like booty goals now. It literally has shifted.
2: Yeah, moving big weight, going mm. in, Googling different bits of equipment. Because dudes had this amazing time of Googling different arm workouts, mm. shoulder workouts, following their bodybuilders. Yeah. We now see females looking at different ways to use you know, uh, the abductor machine. Mm. I'm going to lean forward. It's going to work my glutes more. Yeah. I'm going to use this machine a little bit more. And they can now have a nucleus of their resistance training surrounding a body part that they want to develop. Mm. Then they start to see their upper body as you know, some accessories to that. Now, going into the gym just looking to get bigger is quite vague and it's not very motivating for a lot of people. But yeah. then having something they could be proud of, having something mm. where they can go into the gym and go, I'm going to develop this. And then, but they take a before and after picture. And instead of being about their waist, about the amount of calories they consume, it's about muscle that is extending mm. the hip for hundreds of kilograms. Yeah. Before-
0: right um, so it's a really positive shift I, I think that's one of the nice things that has definitely come around in the fitness industry that women are encouraged now to be strong and healthy and fit i still think we have a bit of a way to go with let's just be fit and healthy rather than focusing on even how how we look or one body part is strong or not should be that overall surely longevity and health but it's such a controversial area to discuss because i don't think we're going to ever appeal to everyone and there's obviously a, a movement now, body positivity movement, and there's lots of different stories. In fact, the headlines this week, as we're recording this podcast, is because Nighttown have just brought out their um, plus size um, image, which I think is, you know, it's probably a very good thing that mannequins, let's be fair, mannequins in shop windows are not realistic for men or women.
2: Absolutely not. They're, they're, and I think the
0: size of my leg is like probably like triple the size of one of their legs on a mannequin. <laughs>
2: and if we were to actually correlate a percentile of the population that could match or mimic that at this yeah. given point, yeah. it's a bit like, you know, having a mannequin that's going to be six foot eight or above. Yeah. And it's, you know, you not many people really know someone that's, that's in that great shape. And even those fitness people that are listening through agglomeration, you know, fitness people, a large amount of our population. And I'm sure a lot of people that wear Nike are not of that size. Now, what I kind of, I like it. I don't like the way that someone at a boardroom sat there and went, let's make big mannequins. You know, I don't yeah. like that that was a discussion. Mm. But at the same time, I know some, I could name, there's some girls that I follow on Instagram who, you know, they're not obese, they're not overweight, but they're just not conforming to societal norms yeah. of how their body should look.
0: Yeah, no woman should have to.
2: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. and they're fit,
0: they're active. But I still think we have such a long way to go.
2: Yeah, and the last thing that I want to see as well is people kicking too far with the wind. And then we get to the other side where, you know, and people go, oh, well, it's well, it's okay for me to be obese because I'm confident. And you're like, no, we're that's not what we're saying. And this sounds like a, a pretty controversial thing to say. When I say to people... I don't want you to be obese and I don't want you to be crippling with your overweight. I want to do it for your quality of life. But I'm also mindful of the health system that we share in Mm. our country. And although there are more complex reasons behind why a lot of people are obese, if we let this body confidence movement occur, it could be an issue for all of us. If the rates keep going as how they're going and people glorify being obese Mm. in any means or any way, I just feel like that's going to be more of a burden on our society. Yeah,
0: I mean, I can see that point of view and I can also see the point of view where some people may potentially think, well, no one's choosing to be obese. So they're not glorifying it. They just want to be able to feel more comfortable and accepted so they can then go into a gym without people staring at them making them feel uncomfortable you know being fat phobic yeah. I do you know what I think I could do a whole other podcast on this topic it's definitely I want to touch on one thing with you before we move on to the next bit I want to ask about um heart rates because I don't think enough people think about the fact your heart grows and shrinks as we as we build strength as we put on weight a lot of my unfortunately my disordered eating clients in clinic their heart muscle will shrink because they're obviously not fueling their body enough does heart rate play an effective role in the gym or in, in fitness in general? Do you look at it?
2: Uh, so heart rate is something where, again, the higher the intensity of the exercise, the different substrate we will use. Mm. So often where intensities are certainly uh, higher, carbohydrates, where there's slightly lower fat will be a mm. more preferential uh, source for that. So then we find people talking about a fat burning zone. Yes,
0: yeah, so I see it on the treadmill. So I'm one of those that used to go on, and actually I still do this occasionally, I go on the cross trainer when I need to chill and I'll play solitaire. Yeah. on thing yeah and then it says the fat burning zone so I just click fat burning zone and I'm walking at a set speed is it's, that because it thinks I'm
2: yeah it's it's more to do with heart rate <laughs> and substrate and kind of yeah. uh, oxygen exchange but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good that there are people motivated to walk on it and then they start slowing down they're like oh I'm not burning fat anymore yeah um, heart rate uh, variability is a uh, something that's used more so in elite athletes where yeah. we can determine whether or not they're sympathetic or parasympathetic dominant where mm. actually a lot of fighters now have their heart rate measured by their coaches to determine whether or not they should rest or train. Mm. A lot of elite athletes will go to the gym on days they should rest because yeah, it's in the head yeah. um, and they won't let their athletes know close to a fight in case it puts them out of the fight. In so the
0: interesting.
2: Uh, heart rates on the whole and fitness trackers Again, say a fitness tracker can measure your heart rate, give you a calories burnt total and tell you how many steps you've done. Yeah. I think we should ignore two out of three of those. Okay. Heart rates. There are some people with certain um, irregular heart rates where they go, oh, James, my PT's told me that if I get my heart rate to hit, I'll die. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your heart rate? She's like, it's 20 beats per minute above that. (laughs) Then um, the, the calories burn. I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this. I don't see it as a variable that is essential for us to track nor know. It's a number that should anyone walk into this room where we're recording a a podcast Mm. with a few calculations, I could give them a rough estimate of how many calories they need per day Mm. to lose fat. Then we look at food quality. Then we look Mm. at what they're consuming and their exercise regime. If nothing happens, we could reduce on the calorie side of things. Mm. At no point would I need to bring in that really number of, of how much they're burning.
0: Yeah, and I'm of the belief that um, it depends on the goal you have, the fitness levels. If you are looking to achieve. A certain health status, knowing heart rate could be useful, but it's definitely, I think it's another thing to blame and worry about. I mean, if you're already counting things, and for some people, they don't even want to do that. So for people that's working for, they probably don't want to be worrying about the heart rate as
2: well. Yeah, this is and this is it. And I say to someone, if I put a Garmin on one, on one yeah. wrist and an I, iPhone or iWatch, sorry, on the other, if they give different readings, it could put someone off the whole process altogether. And Exactly. The, the steps thing I love because it keeps people accountable.
0: Yeah, and do you know what's funny? is that 10,000 a step day thing, or 10,000 steps a day. That's not even based on any science. It's just a, a guesstimate that someone pitched one day and it's stuck, but it's really effective.
2: I think so. And, it you know, someone, oh, anyone fancy a cup of tea? Someone at their desk, you know, i it. Yeah. Because, not because I want to make you a cup of tea. But because I've got a step total that I'm conscious I'm going well, to do. Well, some
0: of the um, the hospitals that we do some kind of part time NHS work in, they have these little teams, and they try and beat their step counts in the different departments. You'll have the oncology department trying to reach ten thousand and smash all the other, the gynaecology bit down the down the hallway or something. It's brilliant.
2: And this is this is something as well, which I I, I like the movement of this whole. Increasing your non-exercise expenditure because yeah. it's it's liberating for people and it's getting them going up the stairs. It's getting them taking escalators. Um, and if you're
0: lucky enough to have a garden, please just get in your garden and do things that just walk around it or mow the lawn. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's burning energy.
2: Absolutely. And sometimes if I've got a lot of inboxes to do, I will hop out an Uber a mile before where I need to be. And although I've nearly walked into a few lamp posts. Oh, like, I've done that. So, yeah, yeah, it is I'm gonna do two things at the same mm. time. So yeah. um as far as yeah, Fitbits or well, et it <laughs> would be heart rate, don't worry about it so much. Okay. Calories, don't worry about it so much, steps, keep a yeah. bloody eye on it.
0: Oh, gosh, James, there's so much we could cover. Honestly, I've got so many things. I think we might have to do two episodes on this one. But I've got lots of questions from followers that want to ask you a few specific things. So Polly has said, I have cellulite and it makes me feel insecure. Which exercises are best for getting rid of it?
2: So you get rid of a boyfriend who you don't like. You get rid of trash in the kitchen that stinks. You get rid of things in your life that shouldn't be there. Mm is prevalent in upwards of 80% of females. Probably more. I said jokingly on a controversial post, I was like, there are more women with cellulite than own their own eyebrows. You know, I was like, I was like, <laughs> oh, gosh, and I said James. it as I said it as a point to joke. I was like, it literally exists in the, in the modern day more than most things, you know? Yeah. So it's not something that should be gotten rid of. It's it's not something to be ashamed of. And speaking on behalf of men, it's not something where we go, oh God, look at that. This is a self fabricated thing that stemmed from not only media, images, airbrushing, mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know uh, some graphic designers that are in my academy that are on full-time retainers for influencers. So they every photo that comes through from the influencer, they airbrush all the cellulite <gasps> out, they take the waste in a bit, they do everything. So That, that
0: even exists?
2: Yeah, full-time <gasps> retainers about $800 a month. They oh get.
0: my goodness. That makes me want to cry. First of all, I'm delighted to hear a man actually say, you know, we don't care about cellulite, so hurrah. But the fact that we've we're stooping to that level. It just sets up such false illusions and it's not helping the future generations or any of our mental health state.
2: You're talking millions of followers yeah. as well with these oh. with these people. So that's something and again, we've got magazines out there mm. who are not putting anyone on the front cover that have got cellulite. We've got TV shows uh prime time morning slots in the UK where they're saying this is how we banish cellulite. And we're like, hold on a second, this doesn't need banishing. I
0: saw that particular one and it made my blood boil.
2: And it it is absolutely crazy. And Mm -hmm. I think that should there be more research into alleviating the amount of cellulite that is prevalent on a female, whether it's hormonal, environmental, or through a training Mm. stimulus, I still don't think it should detract us from our original objective from resistance training and exercise and good health.
0: Couldn't agree more. So so true. Thank you so much for answering that one so clearly. Dan has said, how do you know if a personal trainer is any good? Now, this is a question that I would also like to ask because you've said at the beginning of our episode, personal trainers are not really regulated. They're not made to uphold continuing professional development or CPD every year. So how do you know?
2: It's very tough. And it's one of the main reasons, the two main reasons that I, I got into social media in the first place. One was fear of rejection, going up to people on the gym floor i hated it more that, than that ever. that
0: must be quite nerve-wracking i don't think i could do that
2: it's it's just very unenjoyable mm. you you hype yourself up you see someone doing something wrong you're like hi mate can i help you out they're like leave me alone okay cheers <laughs> that just took me three minutes to get the courage to <laughs> or if, if
0: you're a woman the worst of it is i think you think someone's hitting on you if they approach you yeah. which uh, to be fair probably does happen so
2: you know social proof yeah. is very important whether you're in any line of work and to put out good content or helpful content mm. And I I don't think that every personal trainer needs to be perfect. And if I look back, I would have considered myself a decent PT in my first year, although I didn't know everything about nutrition. Yeah. As long as they're helpful and they can benefit the person, accomplish their goal, that's one thing. But I think it's going to get worse because these personal trainers are going to be polluted. If you come out of your level three PT course, you're, you're harmless. By your first or second year, by following the wrong mentors, yeah. you could be trying to alkaline your diet. <gasps> You could be trying to uh, give up caffeine and coffee. You could be yeah. blanket prescribing things. You might be a personal trainer that's part of a local group exercise class. You might then copy their nutritional mm. strategies to your own See clients. how it
0: happens. But obviously they're blurring the lines. Whereas a really good professional, in my eyes, would always work as a team collaboratively or know when to refer.
2: Then they might follow a plant-based Instagram page that's got a blue tick and several hundred thousand followers. And suddenly they go, oh, this means that you know meat is going to give my client cancer so they go in the next day then they watch a documentary on netflix oh and don't suddenly... there's so
0: many of them do you know how many podcast episodes i've done so far james discussing a documentary on wait on netflix <laughs> or something like um yeah the blue tick not being the glorified this means this person is safe
2: it's to follow. it's ridiculous yeah and uh even today I, i've seen it and i think that it then becomes a bandwagon for people to jump on to confirm their own beliefs. Mm. And then yeah, so to answer the question, yes. it's very difficult. Okay. Uh, look for some kind of social proof. Okay. And try and make your mind up if they're not they're on about. If not, ask for a referral from someone. Because mm. if you're a person trained that lives in an area you should hopefully know someone in another area that's pretty clued up. Mm. And you should just say, hey, mate, can you check out this guy? Yeah. Can you look at his profile, see if he, he looks legit? Um, I suppose referrals and references on, on the results they get is one thing. But, yeah, it's, I think it's only going to get harder.
0: Okay. Oh, gosh. Well, watch the space. Um, so the last question we've got is from Mike. Um, I usually skip stretching at the end of gym classes, but I have a feeling I shouldn't be. Is it actually important that I stretch after working out?
2: So this is going to be a very biased question because I've got pretty shocking mobility because I used to always finish rugby training and never stretch. Uh, yeah, if lot... you were
0: my client, even if it's not my round, but I would be a bit concerned, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially after rugby. Uh,
2: so I'm relatively injury free, albeit not incredibly flexible. I think that a lot of people stretch after a workout thinking it's going to uh, inhibit a lot of the muscle soreness. But we've created a lot of muscle damage during a workout. Mm. I don't see how stretching or trying to lengthen a muscle would undo that mm. or reduce inflammation that's going to occur because of it. Okay. Should someone have limited range of motion, I'm not a big fan of of static stretching at the end of a workout. I actually like incorporating movements such as If someone's got very tight hips and tight quads from sitting down... Oh,
0: hip flexors. Horrendous.
2: Yeah. I would then say to them, you're going to do a rear for elevated split squat where passively at the bottom of every rep, under load, we're going to get you to a passively stretch. stretch, Someone's got tight hamstrings, a Romanian deadlift could then take Mm. them to the end range and rather than just sitting about, because again, this guy, by the sounds of it, even if I was to tell him how important it is, I don't see that habitually changing for him. He's probably got five years of not stretching after a mm-hmm. workout. I, yeah, I'm, running
0: off to work because you're just late, aren't you? After the gym.
2: So I could say to him, Hey, mate, what about instead of your back squat, I give you a split squat. Yeah. And instead of your uh letting hamstring curl I'll give you a Romanian deadlift. Mm-hmm. I just want you to stretch your muscle at the bottom of each rep. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm meeting him halfway. We're okay. both reaping the benefits. But standing around and doing static stretching, especially for someone who's time poor, I don't see them sticking okay. to it.
0: That's a good tip, actually. And I guess you can do some stretching at home in the evening. or I mean, I was always taught to do dynamic stretching before and static stretching after when the yeah. body is well. And, but I know it's a controversial area. There's no right or wrong. So, yeah, definitely watch the space. So we're now moving on to my favorite part of the podcast, which is the fact or fiction round. Are you ready? Yes. You are ready. Okay, so you've got to answer fact or fiction to the following questions. You can focus on losing fat from certain body parts. Fiction. Exercise makes you lose weight. Fiction. Ooh, love, love, love. Can we just, sorry, I'm disrupting the fire round. Can we delve into why?
2: Because if you only put the onus on exercise, a lot of people, when they exercise more, become more hungry.
0: Yes, they don't think about their diet. And guys, I would actually say you need the diet in place before you hit the hard workouts. Um, but again, I'm biased. Um, home workouts can be just as effective as gym workouts,
2: depending on outcome.
0: Ooh, elaborate, please.
2: <laughs> if you're, uh, if you wanted a balanced weight training regime to protect your joints and to complement a caloric deficit, absolutely, mm. get yourself a TRX or a suspension trainer. You can get a very balanced home workout. If your goal is hypertrophy and muscle growth, where you need to train muscles through different strength curves, I think that you would not be able to get... Because there's only a certain amount of movements you could do at home. At home, yeah. Well, then you would equipment. need a gym with cables, different kind of pulleys. So for a bodybuilder training from home, limited returns mm. for general populations, fact.
0: Unless they're in Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good form trumps high reps.
2: Yes. Doing fact, fact, fact,
0: fact, fact, fact or fiction. I'm doing lots of cardio is the best way to lose weight. Fiction. You shouldn't work out on an empty stomach. Fiction. Not feeling sore means you didn't get a good workout. Fiction. Lifting heavy weights bulks you up. Fiction. <laughs> Exercise machines beat free weights.
2: Fiction. There we
0: go. You can't out train a poor diet.
2: Fiction as well. Oh, hold on, I no, can't show that. I would say, I actually, you can't. I would say, I'd say, I'd say fact. It. I'd say it's on the whole true. Someone potentially can, but again, I'm looking at like a one percenter. I'm looking at someone, you know, like we have got some ultra marathon runners. That there was one called Courtney DeWalter. She did uh, the Mojave 240. It's 230 something miles in one go. She right. slept for 20 minutes and she won by 10 hours and 20 miles ahead of everyone else. And asked about a diet. She was like, oh, I just love nachos.
0: She's a, like anomaly on my graph. Yeah,
2: so I that's, don't... <laughs> that's right. It first came in. Then I was like, actually, no, this is bad advice to be putting out. Everyone across the board, do yeah. not try and train a bad diet. I know,
0: I know. And actually with the most recent book I had, working with Ronnie O'Sullivan, he's an incredible, he's our world number one sneaker player. And he used to believe he could run out anything. And then when he learned about the nutrition, it changed his life. So that does nearly wrap up. Thank you, our episode today. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So today, mine would be that exercise is so much more than a weight management tool. It can help you manage stress and what's more, it lowers your risk of many diseases, including heart disease, diabetes, obesity, we've discussed today, bone health, osteoporosis, and even some cancers now. There's lots of research that movement can help reduce this. So we should all strive to build physical activity into our day in a way that's manageable. Like James and I have discussed, um, even taking the stairs, getting off a step early, keeping active in your garden and fueling your body with the right nutrients prior to exercise. It will give you the energy and strength that you need to perform better. So good nutrition will also help your body recover faster after each workout. So when it comes to pre-workout meals, this is something I'm asked about a lot. It's better to choose foods that are easy to digest because also your stomach is going to play a role here and carbohydrates, as we discussed, your body loves them. So you really want to maximize glycogen stores for high intensity exercises while fat may be tapped into when you work out for longer periods because your body's going to run out of that glucose depending how long. And We're talking about probably marathon runners here or maybe less intense workouts. So after your workout, your body tries to rebuild its glycogen stores and repair torn muscle tissue. Eating the right nutrients soon after you exercise could potentially help this get done faster, although the time window has now changed recently. it's not just doesn't just have to be half an hour after you've worked out. So consuming an adequate amount of protein and carbs um, after a workout, it can give your body what it needs to repair and build new tissue. So... That's my kind of nutritional front on it, James. But if you could leave our listeners um, with one food for thought, which I know will be quite tricky because there's such a lot to discuss, what would that be?
2: So the most compelling post I've seen on training recently was by Brad Schoenfeld, where he said, imagine if we could bring a pill to the market that improved cardiovascular health, injury resistance, motor skills, quality of life, athletic prowess, strength and power, insulin sensitivity muscle mass people would do anything for that pill Mm -hmm. but it already exists in the form of resistance training
0: that's lovely that's such a good feed for thought (laughs) i would do anything for that pill james thank you so much for coming on
2: food for thought thank you very much for having me
0: thank you so much for listening it really is heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. So we'd really appreciate it. For more information about my Retrition Clinic books, Healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more. Please visit Retrition.com, subscribe to my newsletter, and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up.